0: Please pray with me. Lord, we give you thanks for this day and that you call us together as your people to worship you with those who have gone before you in the church triumphant who continually worship you. Lord, we ask that our worship might be an act of sacrifice of praise and joy perfected through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, today is not a, a usual sermon. we do today as we start using the Book of Common Prayer is to um, just give some rationale as to why we crazy Anglicans do this. Some of you might be saying, why are we switching and making this more complicated and cumbersome? And one of the benefits of work is that when we work at something, I was telling the Sunday school kids today downstairs, when we work at memorizing something, it becomes part of us. C.S. Lewis uses a great phrase talking about the Book of Common Prayer. He says that liturgy is like dancing. It's not fun to learn. And any of you that have learned a new step or to dance know that it's not fun to learn until it becomes part of you. But when it becomes part of you, it's a great joy because then you carry it with you no matter where you go, right? You can get up in the case of a dance at a wedding reception and say, Let's dance to this song. And, and hopefully, the person's with you has also made it part of herself or himself. And it's part of of them, too. That's the image, I think, that helps us understand just what we're trying to do. Um, Also, the Book of Common Prayer for Anglicans, and actually Protestants at large, has been an anchor in confusing times, an anchor in times when lots of things are up for grabs. I want to read you just a section from um, the Bible, from 1 Timothy, chapter 4, where Paul's writing to Timothy, a younger bishop. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, to preach the word, be urgent in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, and exhort, be unfailing in patience and in teaching." For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. You know, St. Paul is writing that to Timothy around 100 AD, give or take a few years. The time that he's talking about was then. But the time that he's talking about, too, is now. The Roman Empire and all of the conflicting religions and all of the conflicting ideologies isn't such, so different than the world we live in today, where everybody's making truth claims. Everybody's trying to convince you that their way is the right way. And as Christians, our ultimate authority, of course, is the Bible. As Anglicans, we say that. That the ultimate authority is the Bible. This is the measure of what's right and wrong. But you know, one thing that I've noticed with Christians today is that their Bible knowledge is pitiful. Their Bible knowledge is pitiful. And one thing that really frustrates me, although I confess it to you as well, as being part of the problem, <laughs> is that growing up in a liturgical tradition, my Bible knowledge was pitiful. You see, when we just hear snippets of the Bible read every Sunday, and that's the only way we ever look at it, we might get some good nuggets, some good ideas. But if we're not reading it on our own, if we're not reading it and searching it for God's truth to us in tumultuous times, we're going to be total, totally lost. But You know, the saying today is there's an app for that. But the saying from the 15th century is there's a book for that. There's a book for that. Another beautiful part of the Book of Common Prayer is that it gives us the grand narrative of God's Word every Sunday. So, when we have difficult readings, right? Where it seems like the readings are driving at judgment and, and um, the readings are, they, they almost seem hopeless. The last few weeks, they've been really brutal, right? Talking about the judgment of God, talking about the narrow door, things that are true, but hard to hear. Notice when those things are framed in the book of common prayer, in our service, what it does is it puts them in the larger context. They're part of a painting, if you will, that is enframed by the larger context of Scripture. Now, how can we be? How can we think that that's reliable? Well, I think one of the things that the Book of Common Prayer does is to give us that framework, because. It's thousands and hundreds of years of people studying the Bible themselves, searching it out for God's truth. Some people have said that the Book of Common Prayer in the liturgy is the ordering of the Bible for worship. Have you ever heard that phrase? That The Book of Common Prayer is the ordering of the Bible for worship. And it's really true. Because while we should be well-schooled in the Bible, we also need to continually hear the meta-narrative, the grand picture. So for example, open your Book of Common Prayer to page 23. Look with me at the Collect for Grace. This is in daily morning prayer on page 23. The Collect for Grace, which is set on Wednesday. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong one. Look at the next one, the collect for Guidance on Thursday. We pray, Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit, that in all the cares and occupations of our life, we may not forget you, but remember that we're ever walking in your sight through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Aside from being a beautifully concise and poignant prayer, the author of this collect is actually pulling from Scripture. He's pulling from the book of Acts. I'll read you the, the passage that this prayer is pulling from. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives himself gives Himself to all mankind, life and breath and everything else. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their own way towards Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being. Do you see how the first line of that collect is actually from the last line of scripture there? In him we live and move and have our being. So as you pray the Book of Common Prayer, you're not gonna see all the citations in these prayers as to where it's from in the Bible. There are some in there, but to put all of them in would just make it unreadable. But you'll see that you're actually praying scripture back to God praying the meta-narrative of God's grace and law back to God. And this is a good thing, for we need it. I read in a a research poll conducted by Pew in 2018 that 80% of Americans who identify themselves as Christians believe in God as he's described in the Bible. 80% that seems pretty good, right? Wrong. (laughs) Until you look at the fact that it's not 80% of Americans, 80% of people who claim to be Christians think that God is the God of the Bible. It's a problem. It's a problem of biblical illiteracy. It's a problem of lack of bringing our spiritual reality in Christ into our daily life. Look at, there's another study actually, uh, in 2008, a majority of American Christians, 52%, said that they think that some other faiths other than Christianity can lead to eternal life. A majority of Christians in the United States think that there's another way to eternal life outside of Jesus Christ. That's a problem. When Jesus says in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, No man comes to the Father but by me? That's just in Scripture. So, what are people doing in their Bible reading and what are people doing in their worship that they don't know these essential truths? Secondly, the Book of Common Prayer is a standard of dogma and doctrine. So the Book of Common Prayer is a standard of dogma and doctrine in a world that says foolish things like, all you need is Jesus, or all you need is the Bible even. Why is that a problem? Have you ever had somebody quote the Bible to you selectively to prove a point that you know is wrong, but you don't know why it's wrong? Dogma and doctrine are the way that we read the Bible, the lens through which we see God through the Bible. And that lens is a collective of thousands of years of people interpreting the Bible and asking the Holy Spirit to help them interpret it for themselves. So as a standard of doctrine and dogma, the Book of Common Prayer helps frame things for us. Do you know that Anglicans, if they're attentive to their worship practice, read more scripture than any other Christians? It doesn't happen that way. I wish it did. But we read more scripture on Sunday morning than any other church you'll get into. I promise you that. Old Testament, Psalm, New Testament, Gospel, Gospel you're at the very least getting four scripture readings. And they're not short either, you may have noticed. In addition to that, as Anglicans, we're supposed to read the Bible every day and we're given a way to do it. Look with me in the back of your prayer book. I had a page number here. Thank you. 754. Well, that's heartening. Somebody else knows it. Yeah, if you want to turn to where we actually are, 756 in the year. Do you see this nice grid? You know, a lot of people say, well, where do I start in the Bible? Where, how do I get into a pattern of reading God's Word? I never knew this. I was an Episcopalian for many years, and it took me to my mid-twenties before I discovered this in the back of the prayer book. I think it's laid out a lot better in this prayer book than in previous ones. But notice, if you look at that page, 756, you look and you see on the on the left, there's the date, morning prayer, first lesson, second lesson, Psalter, the 60-day Psalter. And then on the right page, 757, evening prayer. If you read through this every year, you read the Bible all the way through each year. And you're familiar with all of God's Word, not just the little snippets or even the bigger Excerpts that we hear on Sunday. This is a phenomenal tool. I encourage you to use it. Have a book of common prayer, if nothing else, for the guide through the Bible. What if we knew our Bible as well as we know our liturgy? What would the Lord do with that? It's an anchor in doctrine. We know Scripture through it. We know what it means to be baptized through it. We know what marriage is through it. If you want to know the purposes of marriage, open to holy matrimony. Look at the preface between a man and a woman. For certain reasons, marriage is given to us. And they're listed there. It's a level of doctrine, a measure that's coming from Scripture. So, the Book of Common Prayer keeps us Catholic. What do I mean by that? One holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. You're all Catholics, whether you want to admit it or not, because you're part of the one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. And part of being that church is praying as that church has prayed from the beginning from the beginning. The liturgy goes back to the first century. The words have changed, the languages have changed, but the substance remains the same. Archbishop Jeffrey Fisher famously said in 1951 that we as Anglicans have no doctrine of our own. We only possess the Catholic doctrine of the Catholic Church enshrined in the Catholic creeds. And those creeds we hold without addition or diminution. We stand on that rock we know how to bring to bear on our Christian devotion and creeds all the resources of charity and reason and of human understanding submitted to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So we have a freedom, and embrace a faith, which in my belief represents the Christian faith in a purer form than can be found in any other church in Christendom. That's not a boast, he says. It's a reminder to us of the immense treasure that is committed to our charge. The immense responsibility on us in these days to maintain unshaken those common traditions that we've inherited from those who've gone before us. Repeatedly in the epistles, St. Paul writes to those bishops in the early church to maintain the traditions, to emulate their leaders, as we read in Hebrews chapter 13 today, to be unshaken. Look with me at Hebrews 13, chapter 7, that Christian read for us today. Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. We read, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of the way of life, their way of life, and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever. Verse 9, do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. What the author of Hebrews is saying is to look to our leaders. And in our case, it's to look to the past. It's to look to those faithful that have gone before us. It is an anchor of doctrine and Catholicity, but also the Book of Common Prayer is a tremendously Protestant thing. Back in 1549 when the Archbishop of Canterbury first translated a bunch of different books into the Book of Common Prayer, he did it so that the people could pray. Notice don't don't bypass too quickly the name. What's it called? The book of common prayer. The book of common prayer. Why? Because everybody, clergy, laity, bishops, deacons, everybody uses the same book. There's no secret prayers that the priests know. There's no secret prayers that the bishops know that you don't know because you're a lay person. This is an incredibly Protestant thing to put this in your hand and say, you as a son or daughter of Christ as a Christian can trust this. We trust you to use this. You don't have to come to us in the collars to know how to pray. This is your tradition. This is part of who you are, not just part of who we are. That's your heritage as Protestants, friends. As people who read God's word, who study it, who love it, who preach it. Do you know, you can open up to a service of morning prayer or evening prayer and conduct a service yourself. All you have to do is be able to read. Everybody gets intimidated by it, but the rubrics are there, the little print that tells you what to do, along with the big print that tells you what to say and what the respondents to say. If Deacon Mark, Father Joshua, and I were traveling to lunch and got hit by a truck and creamed, God forbid, Um, Carol as our senior warden could stand up here next Sunday and lead you in morning prayer huh drive carefully carefully. thank you Carol yes (laughs) one of our lectors could stand up front here and lead you in morning prayer the church would go on it's an incredibly empowering thing to know your prayer book. It's an incredibly Protestant thing to know your prayer book. Archbishop Cramner believed in this so much that he was burnt at the stake by Roman Catholics because he translated this into a language that you could have and hold. It meant a lot to him. It should mean a lot to us. It's something that forms us if we use it, but it's a tool, not an idol. So use it that way. Use it as a tool to search out scripture. Use it as a guide for prayer. Use it as a way to put deeply within yourself God's word and the meta picture of what he has done to save us lost sinners through Jesus Christ. I know if you do that with me, and that will be our journey going forward, that we will be a vibrant parish. That we'll be a parish that's not clergy-centric. That we'll be a parish that understands where God's leading us and can witness to the sick, can give thanksgivings for those who are celebrating, can mourn with those who mourn, can pray for those who are desperately in need of it and can be equipped, quite frankly, to be Christians when called upon. Let's not be like those Episcopalians of the past who only used this book on Sunday. Let's be like those Anglicans who as recently as 75 years ago, because I still know some of them, they're in their 90s now, but who pray this daily, who search God's Word daily and find it a tool to love him more. Please pray with me. God, we thank you that you don't leave us on our own, that you've sent to us the Holy Spirit, and Lord, that you have acted through him, through the centuries of those who have sought to love you and follow you we ask that we might be faithful in our day, that we might be anchored in your word, that we might know doctrine and dogma, that we might be good, reformed Catholics, good, liturgy-knowing Protestants that can proclaim you faithfully in our day. Amen.